The more I've talked to founders, the more I've realized storytelling is really the key skill. You are storytelling every minute. You're storytelling to investors. You are storytelling to people that are going to come join your team. You're storytelling to your customers. You've got to have a clear idea of what you're offering and why it's compelling. Welcome back to Demo Day. On today's very special episode, our first ever two-time guest, Anna Barber, partner at M13, and one of the most incredible investors here in Los Angeles. M13 is a venture firm focused on the future of consumer behavior in these four pillars, health, money, work, and commerce. A few of M13's notable investments include Snapchat, Headspace, Lyft, Pinterest, and many, many more. In Anna's first episode with us in 2019, we discussed her journey from New York to Silicon Valley to LA, as well as her experience as the managing director of Techstars LA. In 2020, Anna became a partner at The Fund and then a partner at M13. On today's show, we'll be discussing the essential traits required in a startup founder, key differences between pre-seed, seed, and Series A investments, and the importance and impact of mental health in hustle culture. Without further ado, let's jump in to Demo Day. Anna, thank you so much for joining us today on Demo Day. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. It's great to be back after a few years, I think it's been. It has been. And just sit down with you and see um, all the amazing stuff you built with Coefficient and the great work you're doing for startups in the community. And the fact that you've kept the podcast going, I got to tell you, so many people who start a podcast, they drop it. So good for you for continuing with it. I appreciate it. And for Mm -hmm. those that don't know, this is a special episode. Uh, Anna is our first ever guest coming back for a second run on Demo Day. So big shout out. I feel so honored. Yep. Big shout out. (laughs) There's only one person that can have that title and it is you, Anna. So uh, we really really appreciate you joining us today on the show. Since we've already had a chance to get to know you uh, and your upbringing from you know early life on our first podcast, I thought that uh, today we could focus on a couple other topics and areas. But um, for those that didn't see your first episode, uh, the quick rundown on Anna. Anna grew up in New York City in Chelsea, uh, went to Trinity College for a bit, and then off to Yale. And then Anna was a partner at M13, is a partner at M13, formerly the managing director at Techstars and years of experience as an executive at Startup. So Anna comes with a lot of experience, both as an executive, managing director of an early stage uh, accelerator, as well as working now at M13, uh, you know, one of the top funds here in Los Angeles. So uh, Anna, really appreciate you again. And I thought that uh, for this episode, we would cover a couple of main topics. So uh, one being what's changed since our last conversation in 2019. Obviously, it was pre-COVID days. Um, some of your learnings and just like your personal takeaways during, you know, during 2020 and what you saw both in companies you were investing in, as well as I know you do a lot of coaching and you have a lot of founders that look up to you. And so just what you went through in helping people navigate that experience. Um, and then, you know, we'll end by just kind of going into a bit of the future and just what you're pumped up and excited about. Sound good? Sounds great. There's certainly a lot of material to cover <laughs> with what's changed in the last three years, Sean. So excited to get into it. Cool. Um, so while I'm really curious to get started with questions around COVID, I think it'd be best to start just with the more obvious changes. 
Uh, the biggest one being that you're coming to us no longer as the managing director at Techstars, but rather a partner at M13. And so I thought before jumping right into M13, we could kind of backtrack a little bit and, and just stick on Techstars for a few uh, minutes. Um, you're there almost four years, which is in today's world, uh, kind of a long time to be at a, you know, any given company. And, and so I wanted to start by just getting a vibe from you on like what you loved the most about that experience and yeah. uh, just some of the things that like really stick out to you as you think about that four-year journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have a phrase at Techstars, Techstars for life. Um, and it's certainly how I feel. I think the the Techstars network and um, the experience and the training I, I had there, you know, really stuck with me. Um, in particular, you know, one thing I love about Techstars is the values and the ethos of the place. Um, give first is one of the big values. And I think that's how the entire community kind of behaves. And, you know, the idea is just to build a community around generosity of spirit and founders helping founders and investors helping founders and everyone kind of jumping in because the idea is we all rise together. And that culture and philosophy is something I've really carried with me. I was there for four years. I was the founding managing director of Techstars LA. Um, it's been handed off to my good friend, Matt Kozlov, and he's doing an amazing job kind of keeping that community going and building it into something even bigger. Um, I actually wasn't really looking to leave. Um, I had been there four years and I did feel like I had kind of um, mastered it, but was still learning. The great thing about working with startups is that even if you're doing the same job in the same motion over and over, you're learning something new every day because totally. every single founder you meet, you know, teaches you something new about how they see the world. So there was really an endless amount of learning still to be had there. And I was happy. Um, you know, but I got this amazing opportunity and that's kind of how my career has gone. It's not so much, oh, I'm ready to leave this as, oh, that new opportunity looks really exciting. Yeah. And I can't wait to learn about what some of the elements that like you, that was really pulling at your heartstrings there. Um, for those though, that don't really know about Techstars or the program, like how is Techstars different than say a normal VC fund or even other accelerators? And, and maybe a better way of asking is like, how do you describe Techstars to a friend? Techstars is an accelerator that focuses on helping um, companies succeed at the earliest stages. And it does it in a very specific way. So different from, say, um, I'd say the other two main players in the space at this point being On Deck, which has you know quickly kind of come up in the world, and Y Combinator, Techstars focuses on these cohorts of 10 companies, classes of 10 companies. So it's really about building in community. So even though Techstars is enormous and has a you know really large global footprint and is one of the top early stage investors in terms of number of companies every year, the focus of building these little communities of 10 companies at a time is really at the heart of what Techstars is about, you know, building that founder to founder connection and that connection between the managing director and the founders. And it's one of the things that I think makes it work. Um, and so, of course, when you think about what does it mean to do that in COVID and um, because the hallmark of Techstars was really always been Being bringing everyone together yeah. in person. So Techstars had to undergo um, you know, a really interesting shift in COVID and think about, you know, how do we do this in a remote first world or remote, completely remote world? As COVID was starting to like come into play, were you a part of like, how do we change this? Or was that like, had that already transition happened prior to COVID starting? 
So the interesting thing is we had already been running a pilot for it unknowingly because we had a Techstars Anywhere program um, run by Ryan Cooter, who's based in San Diego, which was sort of a pilot virtual program that had started earlier, um, I believe in 2018. Um, And so we already had a model of how to do it. And so Techstars essentially rolled out that model across all the programs and we began running all of them virtually. So I was running a virtual program in the summer of 2020 for Techstars LA. Even though most of the founders were in LA, we did not see them in person until we all met at the park. I think it was October of 2020. We had a socially distanced outdoor picnic in the park. And I saw them all for the first time and, of course, had that funny experience of realizing that people were much taller or much shorter than I thought they were. (laughs) Which totally happened to me as well. Like two of our team members that I met for the first time, I was just like, Wait, what? How is this even possible that you're this tall right now? Um, and so when you were, you know, sitting there, even though you weren't actively looking for your next opportunity, what were you hoping to find in your next opportunity? Like, was there some because like after you've been with uh, startups at a certain stage and you've gone through this process so many times, was there something that like you wanted more of that you weren't getting? Well, I'll tell you what the appealing thing was about the opportunity. Okay. Um, and and my initial re- reaction when I first got the phone call was, was no thanks, I'm not interested, mm. honestly. And then I thought about it and I thought, you know, actually, this is an amazing group of people. Um, I really liked all the all the people that I'm, and for me, that's really, you know, where it starts and ends almost all the people of M13 are just great people. So Carter and Courtney, who founded the fund, um, are just incredibly hardworking, extremely smart, great investors, terrific community builders, great leaders, just had set a really great culture for the for the firm and also just had a really big vision for what they wanted to build. So that was exciting. And then looking at all the people they brought in around them, um, you know, Matt Hoffman, the head of talent, had gotten to work together with a little bit because we had um, put on an event together featuring Jerry Colonna. So I knew Matt based in New York and Carl Alomar, just everyone who told me about Carl, who's the managing partner there, you know, just said such great things about Carl and what he was like to work with. He had been the COO at DigitalOcean. Yep. Um, and then, of course, they had hired a year earlier my friend um, here in L.A., Lizzie Francis, who was an investor and like longtime executive. And so I knew Lizzie pretty well um, already. And I thought, you know, I was just intrigued by and these people are all extremely different from one another. Totally. So I thought. Any group that's coming together made up of these people, you know, this is something interesting and I really should learn more about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, big shout out to Carl, also a former Mm -hmm. guest on Demo Day, but uh, it definitely feels or I would imagine it would feel really exciting and different when you've kind of like been at this managing director role. You're almost have like an island where you've worked with the same people, but then to join this new team where like you look around and there's so much diversity and talent and diversity and culture and like being able to be a part of that. I, I remember in talking to Carl, him explaining the way they um in the way M13 invests in startups and really mapping out that journey for each of the startups to ensure that you're there to support them at different, you know, stages. And I think that you know, in tech stars, I can imagine it feels like this very short window where you have to pack everything in as quickly as you can. Is that what it feels like to you as well? And ha- how is it different now that you're in a much like longer time frame with investing in bigger companies, let's say? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think the motion is is a bit similar in that at Techstars, we're writing a check, a smaller check. Um, but then really working with companies for an intensive 90-day period to help them accelerate. At M13, 
um, we're writing a check. You know, our relationship with the companies we work with is primarily as their investor. But then we have an first of all, our entire team is operators, and that goes for both the investing team, you know, and our platform team, our propulsion team. So we really have operator DNA, and we are thinking about on a long term basis how do we act as um, catalysts, supporters, advisors for our companies throughout their journey, you know, over many, many years. And it could look different at different stages. So um, we think about it as in how can we apply our operating knowledge to help them solve at that particular moment in time what they're trying to solve. And I think most venture firms say they do this. I think we've operationalized it in a really interesting and different way in that we have um, five partners who are full-time focused on you know, supporting the portfolio and think who've all had leading operating roles. Wow. You know, we run it almost, you know, we have a weekly meeting where we discuss how the companies are doing and what challenges they're facing. We brainstorm ways that we can plug in and help and we build programs that come out of those conversations. So for example, um, you know, talent has been a big challenge for companies oh, yeah. um, for, you know, the past little while. Um, and we've actually built some specific programs to address um, talent issues. We're launching a recruiting school. We're actually going to train recruiters as a pilot and put them into our portfolio companies. <laughs> wow. So that's just one example of the type of um, you know operating support that we give. We really want it to be hands-on. We really want it to be high impact. I think a lot of the problems that startups uh, run into, like hiring or generating new investor, it, like there's a lot of problems that are very universal to lots of startups. And so if you can take a more operational approach and like build specific content or programs just to solve that problem, that's a really big add value to everyone in your portfolio. Absolutely. Um, you know, so we help one company and then, you know, pattern matching, we're able to kind of translate mm -hmm. what, what we did for that company to the next one. And so, and there's certain verticals and types of problems that come up over and over. So organizational design, recruiting is kind of one bucket, um, go to market growth, very important bucket brand, um, positioning content strategy is another bucket. Data analytics is mm -hmm. a place where we're really high impact. You know, most companies at the series A Stage, they, they're not large enough to have their own data team. Mm -hmm. So we have um, a really talented data partner, Rob Olson, and then a data team that works with Rob that is able to, to go in and evaluate customer data from our portfolio companies and help them see places where they can use data to make better decisions. And that's the kind of thing that can put you on a different trajectory. And if you think about just the value of changing your trajectory, just slightly, you know, angling it up a little bit yeah. over time, that's going to have a really big impact on your results. And that's probably partly what's been really fulfilling for you working with early stage, yeah. because like, you, you know, you get to have that impact where you can almost say, like, I remember meeting that company at that point in their journey and look at what happened during that year. And um, do you think that that's what keeps you in the game of investing, just knowing that you are able to consistently play this sort of role with companies along their journey? It is absolutely one of the things that does. I would say one of them is learning. Like I said, I love to learn from founders and see the world through their eyes. And then the real satisfying thing is when I'm able to, um, you know, I'm able to, you know, add value as a trite term, but I'm able to have an impact, you know, for them. Um, and help them on their journey. And what's exciting about being at M13 is it's not about me. You know, I I may have the relationship or be the one directly working with the founders, but it's really the power of the team mm. um, and being part of this team that collectively I'm seeing the impact that we can have on our portfolio. And it's it's exciting. That's super cool. When 
you think about like the night that you, they reached out to you? Like, is there any story or anything you remember about? I, I know you mentioned at the very beginning, you're like, no, I'm good. But what was sort of the like lay of the land, if if you can remember that got you to be like, wow, um, outside of, of course, the team, was there any story that you remember that made you want to kind of like make the move? Because being like the managing director at LA, it's like, that's you're the top of the top. And so this is such a new journey. Do you remember kind of what was going through your head during that time? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, at Techstars LA, I was, I did have, you know, a specific position and role like in the community. And so what was it that made me give that up? You know, it was, it was the challenge of learning something new and kind of playing in a bigger field in a way. You know, we're writing bigger checks, we're deploying more capital, we're working with companies at a later stage. And I thought that would be a great challenge. Um, but, but like I said, it was honestly about the people. And I said to myself, okay, I know how to do this one thing where I'm running something. It's pretty small. It's kind of like being my own boss, kind of running my own thing. What is it like when I challenge myself to be one of a team of partners, you know, and to really build something much bigger, but in concert with other people, you know, in cooperation with other people, you know, I've never been so great, honestly, at working inside a hierarchical structured organization. Mm. I was actually once told that I'm a bad employee. <laughs> um, I um, This was when I was at Petstore.com in 1999. And my boss, Jeff, at the time, who was a good friend who had hired me from McKinsey, we had left McKinsey together to go there. And he turned to me and he said, well, you know, you're a terrible employee. And I go, Jeff, what are you talking about? When you tell me to do something and I agree with it, I always do it. <laughs> He's like, agree with it. And he Q- looked at me like, exactly, <laughs> like you're proving my point right now. So like my point being like, I'm really not good at kind of towing the company line and following directions. Yeah. Like I just, I have to be in a place where I can be entrepreneurial and kind of do my own thing and like really have a voice and an impact, right? I'm physically incapable of following direction I don't agree with mm. for better or worse. Yeah. Right. But that means that I'm really values driven. So I thought, like, what does it look like when I go in and mix it up with these other people who may think differently or have different points of view? But we all have the same goal in mind. And that seemed like a really exciting challenge to me. Did you ever have to overcome? It sounds weird because like uh, we all, I feel like, have to almost posture up. But did you ever feel that imposter syndrome of like, okay, I was like doing investing for like very early stage. And now I'm talking to like companies that have been a little bit more around the block. Did you have to change or learn different tactics? Or was there a time when you're like, oh my gosh, like this is a big jump for me? There was absolutely that time. And I very consciously went into it. And I was I was vocal about it with the team because I wanted to be in a position to be great at leading series A deals. And I recognized when I got there that it was different from working with companies at pre-seed. I recognized it in terms of how I felt about it when you're deploying checks that are eight to 10 million. It's just a different calculus. It's a different decision. But what I did was I went in and put myself in school and I essentially said to the associates, this is going to be painful because you're going to have to train me in the first few deals that we do. (laughs) Right. But I'm here to learn from you. Mm. Right. And so have being able to have that humility is honestly something that I've had to learn. I did not have it maybe like 20 years ago, but now I do. And I know that there's so many things and areas where I feel comfort comfortable about and confident in that's really okay for me to say in this one thing, I'm a beginner. And how do you become expert at something? You become expert at something by practicing it, mm-hmm. right? By recognizing, you know, it's like I say to my kids, 
add the word yet. So if my son says like, oh, I'm not good at, you know, backhand slice, I'll say yet. Right. And so, you know, I'm not a great I'm not great at packaging a series A deal story yet. Right. And then I practiced it. Right. And now I feel like I've practiced it a bunch. I feel um, like I've got my feet under me and I can I'm a real contributor, you know, in our in our IC. But I had to start from the perspective of like, yes, I'm a beginner again, just in this one area. Yeah. But like, I always want to be a beginner in something. Totally. If you're not learning something new, I'm learning piano now. I just and I'm a total beginner and I'm having a great time. Wow, that's that's really awesome. And and when when you think about the differences between seed or pre, even pre-seed and like series A deals, what are the sorts of things that maybe you weren't expecting? Because you oftentimes hear, especially in early stages, like bet the jockey, not the horse. And like yeah. I could imagine that part of your superpower is like getting to know founders and like they don't have it all figured out, but you can see where they're going. What what are the differences as you start moving up to like series A that, you know, maybe a, a new VC that's just getting into the game, like they don't know what to expect as they start to move into that, you know, territory? Absolutely. So here's how you break it down. Pre-seed, it's about team and market. So is this an interesting market where we think a big business can be built? And do we believe in this team and their ability to figure it out? Okay. Right. That's kind of the beginning and the end. Then seed. Is there the beginnings of some validation of customer interest in this early idea of what the product is? Okay. So at Seed, there's a little bit more of like, we have an idea about what the product is. We've got some early data that customers like the product, right? And, and maybe a sense of how we're going to take it to market. So looking for a story around go-to-market with a specific product. At Series A, you're really looking for evidence that that go-to-market has worked and customer validation in the form of retention engagement in the form of customers actually using the product and some repeatable growth, you know, month over month. So when you're putting together a series A um, story, it's really about looking at the, the financial projections the companies put together, looking at things like unit economics, does the business work? And when you build it out and project it out into the future, do we see a multi-billion dollar business being built here? Mm. You know, that has strong margins and has all the hallmarks of a healthy business. So a lot more of the work at Series A is really about translating the strategy and the vision into that financial story um, and making sure those two things work together and talk to each other. I was just thinking about how tough it must be with macro like environmental pieces, because like during COVID at the very beginning, it seemed like all the VCs we talked to were like, we are, you know, for the most part, like tightening up, we're getting very conservative. We're trying to figure out like what's going on with our current companies. And then after a couple of months into COVID, it was like, Hey, actually things are moving. We're starting to invest again. And then, you know, kind of like moving out of, uh, moving out of that environment, you know, now you have like Ukraine and you have like these kind of macro events does it make does it make it harder? Does it, I don't know if that's the right question, but like during when everything's going great, it feels like, oh, great. They have the right story. They have the right traction. But now you have kind of these. Well, what's going to happen eight months from now? Is the economy going to like how does the macro play a role? Yeah, I mean, I think there's perhaps more uncertainty today than maybe um you know, a year ago. Um, but let's say that's that's a psychological effect, really, more than a real effect. Yeah. Because we're investing for the long term. So if you're able to kind of, that's just noise. 
right? So if you're able to get rid of the noise and just focus on the fundamentals mm. of what businesses do we believe in 10 years are going to be a brand name that everyone's going to know, and we keep our eye on that ball, it doesn't really matter what happens in the next year you know, or two years from a macroeconomic basis because that story is still out there. So the reason it matters is you need to make sure your companies are well-capitalized enough to kind of sort things out and navigate, you know, the difficulties in the changing market. Um, but other than that, it shouldn't be impacting, you know, how we invest, right? Or cause people, cause investors to kind of back down because of, you mm -hmm. know, being fear about the short term, because like our time horizon is so long when we're doing these venture deals, you know, but it's an interesting point because you could see how founders navigated you know, through COVID, right? And that's actually a really interesting signal about how do they handle turbulence? How do they respond to like unexpected changes in the market? And we saw some really interesting situations um, in our portfolio of founders just doing an incredible job and in taking that turbulence and rapidly changing market and turning it into opportunity. Where does that come from? Like, because that, that was one of the you know, questions I had, it's not specific um, to a company, but the question that I wrote down was, you know, were there any companies either within the M13 portfolio or even Techstars cohort um, that you invest in that like really surprised you? They either for good or for bad. And the, the kind of follow up question to that is what were some of the like characteristics or the unifying traits of the founders that you're like, damn, like they were able to pull this together and you know, turn these opportunities, what were some of the traits that you think stood out to you and the ones that like really were able to turn these into opportunities? I'll give you a couple of examples. And one of the areas I'm really excited by um, is future of work and kind of how the world of work is changing. And these are both actually examples from the future of work. So, um, and both companies that we invested in kind of post COVID, but having seen the pivot that they were able to accomplish. So one of them was interviewing IO, LA company, CEO, Aileen Lerner, um, so Aileen, the, the interviewing IO business model had been, um, it, it's a platform to, um, for companies to find engineers who are vetted by doing, um, actual code academy or stuff, no blind to anonymous, um, coding interviews with volunteer expert engineers from fang companies. So imagine if you're an engineer and you're able to interview with, you know, someone who's an engineer at Google and get feedback anonymously on how you did and then use that in order to present to a potential employer. Interesting. Right? So yeah. absolutely genius. And the beautiful thing about it is that these engineers, um, you know, are willing to volunteer their time to do these coding interviews because it's interesting to them and because they fundamentally want to pass on their knowledge. So there's this group of mentors, there's this group of aspiring engineers and putting together with the companies. The original business model was, you know, let's get paid by the companies. COVID, you know, the, the bottom fell out of the job market. Yeah. And then the company was able to immediately pivot, come up with a new business model um, that was focused more on the talent, on monetizing on the talent side, and growth just took off. Right. And so now the company is in, in a great place because they've got both sides of the marketplace working. Um, and this fundamentally is solving a big problem in engineering hiring, which is you go through this whole process and then you get to the technical interview and you find out that the engineer doesn't have what you thought totally. they might have based on their resume. And so this shortcuts that entire process. But what one of the things we found really compelling when we started to get to know that company was watching um, how the team had navigated and really flipped their business model. And that suggests a team that has resilience and is going to be able to you know, do that again in the future. If we once again come up, you know, into turbulent times. Um, 
And the other example is another LA company called WeCare. Oh, yeah. I just led their Series A. So that was just announced in February. Um, um, and that's an incredible story of um, WeCare was a child cl- childcare marketplace focused on in-home daycares. So connecting families with in-home, in-home daycares. So you Which can, I need desperately. <laughs> <laughs> highly recommend. I can hook you up. Um, but imagine what happened during COVID, which was that business, you know, completely closed up when everybody, you know, had to go into quarantine. And so the company had an opportunity and, and yet people desperately needed childcare because you're at home trying to work, right? And what are you going to do with your, totally. with your child? Um, so out of that challenge, the company was able to see this opportunity, which was to offer childcare as a benefit solution to employers. Um, so they launched an entirely new product during COVID and began approaching companies about, you know, offering a product that was childcare benefits for their workforce. And that is now driving the growth of the business. Wow. And there's this massive opportunity now because Two other things changed dramatically during COVID that are really giving that business some tailwinds. So employers realized that they needed to be offering childcare as a benefit. So almost overnight, this became from something no one offered to something a majority of employers are planning to offer. And then second, with this sort of flexible workforce, we don't need childcare anymore downtown near our office building. Where we need it is actually out near where we live. And so WeCare is perfectly positioned for that. But you could see another team, a different team, kind of like falling apart when they literally saw all their business go to zero overnight. And instead of falling apart, this team used that as a sort of creative inspiration to come up with a new direction for the business. So Wow, that's that's a really really awesome story. Yeah. (laughs) Um, When it comes to M13 in particular, have you guys had to change your thesis of like, who you invest in. Cause I remember in talking to Carl, like for the most part, there was a lot of B2C focus, you know, some B2B of course, but, um, you know, you mentioned future of work. Like, have you guys had to kind of make changes over the last, let's call it two years of kind of where you want to put time and money and energy? I think our investment thesis has evolved as kind of the market has evolved. Yeah. So if you think about specifically with respect to e-commerce, Fund One, M13's Fund One, which of course I wasn't there for that, but um, invested in a lot of iconic direct-to-consumer brands, you know, so brands like Rothie and Thrive and Ring and Pinterest and Lyft. So some more direct-to-consumer, you know, brands and marketplaces. We've moved... um, over the as the fund has matured into kind of the e-commerce infrastructure layer, you know. So now we're thinking about services that help direct to consumers yeah. brands survive as opposed to the brands themselves. And that's been partly because the market has matured, right? And so the playbook for launching a direct-to-consumer brand is now well understood and well known. Um, and so we're seeing fewer companies emerge and then rise to the level of unicorns as a direct to consumer brand, but we think there's huge opportunity to support the ecosystem. So I would say it's, it's really just an evolution of the investment thesis kind of as the market changes. Totally. And the same thing with respect to future of work. So, you know, we invest both in what you would consider HR tech. So things like we care, and we also invested in all voices, which is a communication platform for mm-hmm. culture. And then we also are interested in the freelancer marketplace, you know, work marketplace, because we see a future where a lot of work is happening outside of work, where there will be people building entire great careers that won't have a quote unquote job. Totally. And I personally believe that in this idea that job secure income security 
will become decoupled from the idea of a job. So that, you know, we have this idea in our minds that security is kind of, I go work at IBM for 40 years. I think that idea is no longer plays. And the new security is having multiple income streams. I totally agree. I I I mean, I oftentimes think about how that will how coefficient labs will continue to evolve because pre-COVID, like I've been on many podcasts where I said, like, our team will never go remote. You know, I've been a part of championship sports teams and basketball and like we go to the big game together and we come back and that if we're not all together how can we be this great team and then we went into covid and we all were separated and we hired new teammates from you know washington dc and new york city and peru and canada and we like really were able to work with this like amazing talent and our team almost tripled in size we became like in many ways more efficient and now that we're back together I'm really like thinking in my mind, like, how do we keep evolving? Because like there's for sure the energy, you know, I bought everyone breakfast burritos yesterday and like that opportunity to just sit and hang out with each other. Um, But I oftentimes wonder, like, how will this continue to evolve, especially as like there's so many opportunities. And as a business owner, you know, part of me wants to like hold tight and make sure that we're all in this together. And the other part of me is like, well, maybe there's just are there better ways of doing it? And not just for us, but for everyone on the team. Um, So I'm definitely like, you know, interested to see how this plays out in this new gig economy where many people could have three or four or five jobs, even if that's what they so choose. Sure. I mean, in your case, you know, are there people whose skill and expertise in one particular area is so great that you're fine having them for 10 hours a week and they're doing something else for the rest of the time? And maybe that's your whole team. Or maybe it's half your team or, you know, I think I think we're all asking these questions now. For me, I keep coming back to like the the answer to your question is yes, there is for sure a world where it's like, oh, you're amazing at podcast production. Great. We do one podcast a week and right. it's three hours of time. But like the other flip side of it is like, but what about the on the bus off the bus? Like, mm-hmm. what about that? Like feeling that we're building something together. Doesn't it leave the weak hairs of the world like the founding team? It's like wait, aren't we all building together? Like, um, isn't there a loss of that connectivity? I think that is absolutely the big t- question that we're trying to figure out because mm. I think as 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 a company, you need both, right? So you need that culture and who's holding your culture if everybody is kind of a part-timer and a freelancer totally. and may not feel so connected, right? So you have to solve for that connection. And I think also as humans, like the, the, as individuals, we need that connection and community. Yeah. So if you're working all freelance or you've got five different jobs and you don't necessarily feel so tied to any of them, you know, where's your community coming from? Totally. So, so, I mean, I think those are absolutely the right questions. I think in the best of all possible worlds, you can have both. There's a blend of, There's yeah. There's a blend. Huh. Okay. Okay. All right. I don't, so I don't have the answer, but yeah. I think it's the right question. Totally. Yeah. Because yeah, there's like there are moments when I'm because our schedule right now, since we've come back, we're doing uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Everyone gets in around like 745 to 815. So really early. And then we're out at 615. And so it's like, damn, like Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday are long days. And then on Thursday, we close the office at 233. And so everyone comes in Thursday. No. Oh, 2.33. Oh, 2.30 or 3. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Two I was thir- like, why specifically 2.33? Yeah, yeah. Is there something yeah, special yeah. about that time? <laughs> no, like sometime around 2.30 or okay. 3, we close yeah. the office down. And so everyone has kind of like summer Thursdays right. where they're off and then Fridays are remote. And in my mind, it's like, hey, let's all come in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like. 
like, let's really right. work together. And then Thursday comes, it's like, ah, okay, we all right. are out. We can spend time with family and Friday's remote. And part of me just wonders, like, you know, I'm trying to build that of like, hey, do, you know, take Friday and work from home right. and Thursday. But there's also this part of me that's like, is this the best for the company? Um, and should it be different than, and I'm just still right. not sure. Or uh, should everyone be able to figure out what's best for them? Yes, but then you lose the time when you're all totally, there together. So totally. And, and yeah. I'm like, well, that wouldn't work. I'm like, no, it did work. It worked for two and a half years. Everyone got what they needed to get done, done. And maybe we didn't get the breakfast burritos hanging right. out together. But but my guess is also that you had something to build off of because you had been, most of the team had been previously all together. Yeah. So I think that's a really important point that sometimes people miss is that we've all been kind of drafting off of the connection and community that we had before COVID totally and still relying true. on that. Right? That's actually very true because in the, you know, in early March, it was more of like, hey, like, are you guys good? Or is ever like we had all gone right. through it together and so we just had to make it work right. and and now coming back but certainly as i'm like you know we're 16 teammates now and we were yeah. seven going into covid eight um and i'm thinking like well what about the next 20 are they all have to be in la like we don't have enough enough room so right. if we start expanding what does that mean for the, the original culture but uh, anyway i appreciate you jamming <laughs> with me uh, in that world uh, i want to bring us back to uh m13 um We've talked about this early on when, you know, when it came to Techstars, but I'm curious, like, what are the sorts of qualities and traits that you look for in founders? One thing that stuck out to me, and I've used your line like a dozen times, and every time I say it to people, they're like, oh, that's a good one, is uh, strong convictions loosely held. And I like love that because I remember you saying it's something you look for where they really believe, but also they're willing to take coaching and adjust. Um, has your philosophy changed at all? Like now that you're meeting more senior founders, um, what do you like to see in them? What are the traits or qualities that you're looking for that are sort of like your magic, um, you know, formula for I want to invest in this team? I mean, I still love that phrase because I think there's so much packed into it. Yeah. You know, so strong convictions. You have to have a point of view, you know, and you have to be able to express that point of view clearly. I've, you know, the more I've, I've talked to founders, the more I've realized storytelling is really the key skill, honestly. Really? Um, and so for me, strong convictions relates to that. And loosely held is really about, um, you know, like being open, being teachable, right? If you are walking into a situation thinking that your business plan is baked and you're just going to march and execute it and you're a strong operator, that's not going to be a great founder. That might be a great COO for like a larger scale company, but for an early stage founder, that doesn't work because you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face and you get punched <laughs> in the face a lot as a founder and you just have to be able to dodge and adjust. And so that's loosely held. But, you know, the storytelling thing has really, um, for me, come into prominence, you know, and maybe it's partly from meeting so many founders over Zoom, all right, and having to like hear their stories just virtually and get to know them that way. You are storytelling every minute. You're storytelling to investors. You are storytelling to people that are going to come join your team. You're storytelling to your customers. You've got to have a clear idea of what you're offering and why it's compelling and to be able to communicate that um, in a powerful way that inspires people. Yeah. So that's like a, something I look for because that person who is a strong storyteller, regardless what their um, 
you know, what their subject matter expertise or skills are. Like if they can do that, they'll be able to hire and inspire those, those people. You know, the CEO has three jobs, you know, make sure the company doesn't run out of money. So that's revenue and fundraising to set a strategy that's inspiring and communicate it to people and then hire people and get out of their way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty much it. And so storytelling really comes into play across all three of those. Yeah. And it sounds too like for the strong convictions loosely held, it almost like perfectly encapsulates the interview.io story and the we care story. Cause it's like, they had very strong convictions on where they wanted to go. But if they had kept those convictions without like changing it up, they would probably be out of business. And so they were able to like adjust with the market and um, and kind of move with it. When it comes to um, investments, like I don't know, I would imagine, or my, I guess my question for tech stars in particular, maybe even M13, were most of the investments in Los Angeles? And then once COVID happened, did you start looking outside of Los Angeles? And I guess the follow-on question to that is, what's exciting? Where is exciting right now to you that's outside of San Fran or kind of these main hub spots? So it's interesting because when COVID hit, so my first COVID investing experience was Techstars 2020. Um, you know, and I could have chosen companies really that were anywhere and still they mostly were in LA. Mm. Um, I just, you know, I ha- I started out early on deciding that I was going to build my career around helping build the LA tech ecosystem and invest locally. And I've pretty much stuck with that. Um, even at M13, where we really can invest anywhere, um, I just, I tend to gravitate towards founders who are here. Maybe it's because of the personal connection. Maybe it's because of the network. Um, you know, that's just the way that it's in. But um, what was the second part of your question? Well, the second part of the question is, is like, um, what other cities? Oh, yeah. We're, what's exciting? Yeah. You know what? L.A. is more exciting now than ever. I mean, what is happening in L.A. right now is incredible. And this has been starting for a long time. Look, there have been, you know, what is now, I guess, the old guard of LA tech, you know, upfront and crosscut, um, you know, setting the stage here in the community, um, you know, have been around for a long time. And this community has grown and I think diversified in a really interesting way. And just, I think the most interesting companies are, are here in LA. I think there's great stuff happening in Web3 that's really innovative, you know, e-com infrastructure. There's a lot happening here in that area. Um, you know, we've got deep tech here, we've got biotech, like space tech is absolutely exploding. That's not an area we're investing, but it's like an incredibly exciting area. So, um, and we're just seeing this community grow, but retain its core quality, which I was, would describe as kind of, um, generosity and community support. You know, we were worried a few years ago. I remember there was a lot of conversation of like, we're worried if LA gets too big, people will stop supporting each other and it'll become kind of more, you know, backbiting and trying to just, yeah. you know, and I've not felt that at all. I've, I've just felt like that generosity and that feeling of like, we can all rise together has just continued. That's what I always love the most about the like, um, give first mentality at Techstars, yeah. because I think that, you know, if you're not taught that at a really like early part of your journey in a startup, it can be very transactional. Like I'm going to like, they do this for me, then I do this for them. And if they make an intro here, then I can do this. Whereas I think you're hearing a lot more of the concept of, you know, give, give the value first. And if things, you know, end up working out after that, amazing. But I, I think that, 
you know, that certainly is something that I found amazing about the LA community that you don't see as much, you know, as you move into like SF where there's, um, you know, just much bigger companies there. You don't need, at least it doesn't feel as though you need that much community because the teams are so much larger. Absolutely. And look, it's like driven by a few people in the community who kind of set the tone for everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think all the people at Upfront, you know, have been very give first, right? There's people like Mickey Reynolds, there's people like Austin Clemens, there's people like Minnie Ingersoll, yeah. you know, um, the tech stars community in LA. Like I like to feel like at M13, we're also bringing that kind of, you know, give first vibe. And I see new people coming in and kind of like, trying to understand the lay of the land and kind of, un and then embracing it, which is, which is cool to see. What's your like thoughts or perspective on the shift between maybe like four or five years ago, it felt like, you know, it was the like hustle culture where like you have to hustle, you like no sleep, no nothing, like go, go, go. And it feels like over the last like three to four years, there's been more of this shift. The concept of the four day work week comes and the concept of like giving benefits to help employees around childcare or mental health. And what's been your perspective of like the shift in, you know, how entrepreneurs and startups run, you know, in that sort of environment? I think it's really hard to talk about that without talking about mental health mm -hmm. and kind of how we were all f affected by the pandemic. I don't think anyone sitting here today thinks it is possible to have that go, go, go kind of hustle atmosphere and like, you know, keep your mental health. Mm. And I think everyone is recognizing, um, you know, that we need to we need to kind of practice self-care and take care of ourselves, like, you know, and our people and the people around us, like in order to be successful. Like if we don't do that, like there's no point to any of it. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that we're talking about mental health is a great thing. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that we had to have such a mental health crisis in order to get to the point of talking about it and yeah. paying attention to it. But I think if it has a positive benefit on kind of startup culture, and on having people trying to build in a more sane way, um, you know, then then it'll turn out to be a good thing. I intuitively understand what you were saying, and I can see how it plays out. But it feels in some ways counter to being the investor or, you know, where you're like, shouldn't I, I guess the traditional thought process would be like everyone should be hustling. Everyone should be working harder. It's like, that's how you get big, big, big. But have you learned over time that like it actually is not correlated and, and teams that are more balanced are performing better? Does that make sense? The question? Yeah, it does. I mean, so I think the model of like the hustle culture is sort of as if you're at the beginning of a race and there's four cars and you have to drive faster in order to win. The reality is there's very few startups that are in that four car race. Everyone is running their own race. And so how do you run your own race? Well, you want to work smarter, not harder. You want to figure out what are the right things to build, not just like how do we build faster and deploy more, right? So yes, you want to have velocity, but you want to do it smartly. And so it's not about just like time on task and putting hours in. Mm -hmm. It's about how do you, you know, make better decisions by like deeply listening to your customers, by like talking to your team, by like letting people get a good night's sleep so they can think clearly the next day and make a better decision. Yeah. Like that's always going to win over imagining that you're in some kind of, you know, um, you know, race against an invisible you yeah. Know, opponent. Yeah. Now, um, I mentioned this earlier, but um, my recollection of our conversation in looking at our interview around cryptocurrency and Web3 
it wasn't that you were against it or anything. You're just like, eh, you know, it just, it didn't feel at that time. Like it was like important or exciting. Um, or, and I know I'm putting words into your mouth, so that may not be how you felt, but what are your thoughts now? Maybe not necessarily on just like cryptocurrency and the coins, but like the infrastructure people are building and this just general move to web three, like you're seeing almost daily, like a 16 Z launches this fund and upfronts mm -hmm. focused here. And like, how is, um, web three and crypto and the metaverse, like how are those things like playing into your guys's overall thoughts and maybe not even you guys, like what about yeah. just you yourself yeah. and what you've been thinking about it? Yeah. So I actually did in 2019 have two crypto companies in my tech stars class, Lunar Crush, which is doing really, really well, which is social analytics for crypto trading. Um, and it's the top social analytics platform today for people that want to trade crypto. Um, I didn't understand what it was at the time in 2019. <laughs> I just loved the team. It was one of those, I don't get what you're building, but it, um, I think you're amazing. Um, and so that's, you know, been a really fun one to be involved with. And the other one was a company called Fabrica, which was actually putting plots of land on the blockchain, turning properties into NFTs. Like and, real plots of land? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, none of those so, fake plots of land. If you're like, <laughs> no, this is not metaverse real estate. This is actual physical real estate. So if you go onto OpenSea and you search for fabrica.land, you can actually buy property on OpenSea. Wow. So they're NFTs that are representing underlying properties. So, and I think that is an idea that now has matured. Um, and totally. now that idea, you know, is is kind of developing. So it's going to be interesting to see Fabrica playing in that space. And there's a lot of other companies looking at that. Um, but so Web3, kind of broadly speaking, when we when we talk about Web3, we think about it as the underlying technologies that enable new business models. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a space we're actively investing. Our current Fund3 portfolio is probably about a third you know, crypto related. Um, but it's strongly overlaid with like, what are our core investing theses? So we're investing in the future of, of consumer behavior. Um, health, how are we going to access healthcare, um, fintech, future of work, and then e-com infrastructure. So if you look at some of the bets we've made um, in Web3, they all kind of support those areas. So for example, we invested in Milo Credit, which is underwriting mortgages based on crypto assets. Oh. Um, so really exciting company in the prop tech space. Um, we invested in Step In, which is getting uh, you know a lot of uh, so a lot of jo play lately. <laughs> Joel, uh, Joel's been telling me about Step In uh, for weeks now, and I'm like, I think I'm gonna have to buy some shoes today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we invested in Flipside Crypto, which is a developer analytics platform, and um, let's see what else. Kudos, which is building a, a kind of um, a Web three based Pinterest, mm -hmm. um, you know, social platform. So, so we're. We're, and and then we have um, M13 had actually been investing in for a while in the space. Lightning Labs was one of our first um, okay. investments. So building the Lightning Network um, on top of Bitcoin. So um, and we we have a number of other companies kind of in the pipeline. So we're we are um, I would say pretty deep into it. And as an investor, we are focused on con combining our kind of knowledge of consumer and how to launch new consumer products like with our growing kind of expertise around web three. I was having a, a meeting in New York with a, a, another guest on the podcast. And, um, he's still, when I asked him, you know, what are your thoughts on crypto and, and just kind of the space in general, he still had a fairly like hell, a negative perspective. He's like, well, 
what's the utility? Like I, you know, I show me the utility. And, and so my question to you, like he was still at the point where he's like, show me the utility and I'll become more of a believer are when you sit there because you focus on like, well, where's the world going to be 10 years? Like when you sit there, are you thinking to yourself, like, I know it's going, or I think it's going to get there. Or do you also have that some skepticism living deep within around like, what are we actually going to use all of so these? So I'm a for? believer now, right? And here's why. So if you think about when mobile first emerged, we had people who were saying, oh, I'm investing in mobile now. Like You would never think about that today. No one invests in something just because it happens to be an app, right? That's not, a, that's not an investing strategy. Um, mobile is simply a delivery method to communicate with customers, yes. right? So it's the same thing with Web3. It's really just, it's a delivery method to... Um, support transactions and to manage data. So some of the things it allows you to do are customers to own their own data, for you to authenticate who you are without revealing who you are. Like that's really exciting. Think about what we can do with that. Yeah. You know, enabling microtransactions, like allowing people to get micro rewards inside communities for like doing tasks. So when we think about this idea of like building community and around work, right? Web3 is really interesting applications for that. So I think about it in terms of what does it look like when the end customer doesn't even have to know they're interacting with something that's web three? Totally. Right. So take step in as an example, you just download the app. Sure. Okay. So you have to buy Solana in order to engage with that community. But other than that, you're just having an experience interacting with a really fun gamified app that's helping you work out. Totally. Um, so it's not really about the underlying. It's the underlying technology is the means to an end. And we have to stay focused on what are the products and services for consumers that we're building. Right. And, and, and then if web three enables them, great. Anna, uh, not a surprise, but the second episode has not disappointed. Uh, it's been awesome having you on the show. I, I are we seriously done? We've we're, been talking for like five minutes. No, no, you'd be surprised. We're 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 over forty. I'm keeping I'm keeping us uh, on track here, and I uh, I always end as you know with like what you're most excited about, and you know I know there's so many different pieces around you know technology, business, M13. Um, whether it's business related or personal, is there anything right now that has you just like really excited and, um, you know, yeah, what's, what's top of mind right now? You know, I'm just going to go with, cause it's been really consistent, consistent theme for me. Um, you know, I've invested in a lot of female founders and I have a lot of amazing female CEOs, um, that I'm working with and, um, I'm excited to continue investing in women. Um, particularly women in web three and people, you know, women building for women. Um, so, um, seeing a lot of great opportunity there and, and it's great to see, uh, more women getting in, you know, just continuing to build great tech companies. Well, for anyone listening at home again, Anna is, uh, currently at M13, a top fund here in Los Angeles. Um, couldn't recommend them more. They're incredible. Anna, where can people get in contact with you or what's the best place to connect with you on the socials or email or, or whatever you prefer? Absolutely. I mean, Twitter's great. Anna W. Barber on Twitter. My DMs are open. Would love to connect with anyone there. Amazing. Uh, Anna, thank you again uh, for joining us. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Sean. This is great. All right. For everyone Thanks. listening at home, I'm Sean Goldfen, founder of Coefficient Labs, and this is Demo Day. Peace, guys. You got to control what you can control. You can't spend time worrying about far off competitors and what ifs and whatever. You got to make sure that your team of 12 
is executing on this product and it's going to be ready by March, shipped by April 1st and have people paying for it by, by June.